Amen. Well, good morning, everybody. I'm excited to be in Joshua again. If you are new, uh, my name is Drew. I'm one of the pastors here. I, uh, Brian, along with myself, get to team teach. And so we team prepare also, which is great. Um, we spend time on Tuesdays. If you're ever curious about that process, it's quite a process. Um, we spend time on Tuesdays just in the Word, praying us to teach what the, what the Word says, um, but also where the Lord is leading us in His Word. Uh, and so, yeah, we're just honored to be able to do that uh, for the body. Today we are going to actually start in uh, Joshua chapter 11, the very end of Joshua chapter 11. Uh, so if you uh, turn there, if you do not have a Bible, we have one available for you at the end of the aisles. There's little blue, uh, little blue Bibles. Um, my daughter put puts them out. One of my daughters every single Sunday. So you know they're doing their job here. Uh, and yeah, we're um, we're going to be jumping in. Actually of, of uh, Joshua chapter 11. All right, so when we moved, uh, I lived in Lynchburg before this, um, and when we moved, before we moved here, uh, I bought, we bought a house in Lynchburg, and, um, you know, I do talk about being sent. Um, that's one of the things that the Lord often does, is He takes everything that you have, and it just feels like everything, um, and then He just calls you somewhere else, and uh, it's those steps that I don't know. I'm just so excited for Megan because I feel like it's those steps. It's that you're really what he's calling you to is more of himself. I um, mean, you learn that over time, uh, that it's in the going that you find out uh, who this God is. that is sent. Um, And so either way, uh, when we bought our house there, I'll just uh, tell you a little story. We first uh, bought the house. We had like a land surveyed as you do with land. Um, and we found out that my neighbor's garage was built like three feet onto our property and so I was like this is I've gone through something like this and so I you know you talk to a lawyer there and I was like what do you like what do you do with this uh, and he was like well technically um, technically you can ask them to move it and if they didn't move it technically when you purchase the land you're purchasing it and everything that's attached to it and so technically you could claim it and I was like that seems so we had a great I'm just kidding. No, I didn't do that. <laughs> um, no, that, I was like, that seems a little bit harsh. And so I went over to him and I said, hey, um, I, I can't really afford to get everything redrawn, but uh, you can have the land. You can have five feet if you want it. We just got to get everything redrawn. He's like, no problem. Sounds great. I, I guess it was like great grandfather that like owned the house and built the house. His grandfathers do. He probably walked up to it and said, that looks about right. Um, and so he built this garage, and it's, it was a whole ordeal. I did not know what we were getting into. And so we had to go. At one point, I had to go down to, like, the city, the main city office, like, at the courthouse. And so you're in there, and there's this room of maps. I didn't know there was a room of maps, you know? And so you go in, and there's just, like, these official lot lines. It's not, like, just all held on Zillow. It's, like, it's like these official lot lines. And they get out this map, and it's just, like, here's your line. And you got him there and me there, and he's just, like, do you agree to move this line, like, over here? And we're just, like, yep. And so you're, like, re-signing lines. Like, this is the coolest transaction I've ever done. And so I felt really blessed by that because I was like, anytime you get to give away land, it's a good day um, because it's just there's something about it just makes you feel like it's a full day. Uh, and so I don't know. It was just this moment where you're like, man, land and the property. And you never think about the fact that there's actually these lines in these places and you're here and I'm here and someone agreed. And so I think as we go into this, we are going to cover 
Joshua chapter 12 through 19. Um, and it is all allotments. And you're like, what are we doing? Uh, like churches, when they preach through Joshua, they, ch- they stop at 11. Uh, but we would miss out on so many names in places, and that would be disappointing. So we're going to go 12 through 19. And all throughout Scripture, there is significance to land, and not just like physical land, um, but there's land holds a significance also. So you have like Abraham, where like the Lord looks at Abraham, and he gives him this promise. And he says, I'm going to make you a people, and he says, I'm going to give you a land. And in that land, I am going to be your God and you will be my people. And at the heart of that was this actual physical land that they were going to receive. But then you have David, 16, verse 5 says, The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. And David's talking about something different there. David has been given... Honestly, he's a king. He has all the but The beauty of this is that verse one, actually, at the end of that, it actually says, I have no good apart from you. That David is settling into this truth that what he's actually been given is not just the land and the kingdom that he has, but what's far greater than that is God himself, that God is his inheritance. And you just get this moment where he's just full as this. And so land has this physical value, but it also has this spiritual significance. So as we go through a lot of, I'm not going to read them all, I promise, or else we wouldn't have more time. Um, It would take all service. Um, But as we go through all of these names, um, I hope that you see through them a God that keeps um, and that is himself a beautiful inheritance. Um, Let me read the end of chapter 11. So Joshua 11, verse 23, it says, So Joshua took the whole land according to all that the Lord had spoken to Moses, and Joshua gave it for an inheritance to Israel, to their tribal allotments, and the land had rest from war. Let me pray. Fathers, I see even that, um, Father, and I reflect on what we've what you've been teaching us throughout this book. I think about that word rest, that last week we just sat with it. That's all that we want desperately need rest. Lord, and rest can be found in you. And so, Lord, I pray that today that we would find that rest. We would see that you have made a place for us. You invited us into this rest. And Lord, that there are real, um, Lord, that there's, there's a real place. There's allotment in our own life. There's a place that we have. There's a life that we have. And It's meant to be used for your purpose and for your glory. And so, Lord, as we look at how you distribute the land here, I pray that we would see yourself. We would see you and a God who keeps his promises, Lord. And I pray that you would also show us that what you're honestly inviting us into is to know more of who you are. You would do that in this and in your word. We love you. Your name. Amen. All right, um, so in that that passage right there, at the very end of chapter 11, three things— uh, come jump off the page. Joshua took the land according to Moses. Joshua gave the land and their allotments to Israel, and the land. Um, the book could really end at that point. Again, that's why a lot of people just end the teaching right here because I think it's um, it's kind of a conclusion in and of, in and of itself. The rest of the book is them drawing out those three verses, and so they're saying not just okay, so this is what happened and it had rest. You're going to find that they're going to then tell the details of what exactly happened. 
Uh, and so they tell us exactly what happened. And so the very first thing in Joshua chapter 11, we're going to get a lot of maps out today. This is going to be fun, guys. Um, Joshua chapter 11 is, is, moves into 12. And in 12, we get this list of kings. Uh, can I not be over here? Um, in Joshua chapter 12, we get this list of kings. And it begins with, now, these are the kings of the land whom the people of Israel defeated and took possession of their land beyond the Jordan to the sunrise from the valley of Arnon, Mount, Mount Hermon, with all of the Arabah uh, eastward. Uh, and so you have this, here we go. Um, you have these middle we have the Jordan River and then you have the west and the east side of the Jordan and so the west um, no this is going to be that we want the east side but the east side of the Jordan has um, the the different tribes that we're going to have but all of these is what Moses did before um, into the promised land so on the east of the Jordan uh, there's this long list of names, but there's two names that are probably most significant. You get in verse 2, you get Sihon, the king of Eshbon, and Og, the king of uh, Bashan. And so chapter 12, verse 2 and 4. And what happens is these, these lands eventually become the lands that the Reubenites and the half-tribe of Manasseh are going to take on. Um, and then you get on the west side of the Jordan, the list of all of the different kings that Joshua has defeated. So man, there's this whole conquest. And what you notice as you read all of these names, you're going to be like, some of those are new names. And they are. Some of them are new names. One of my favorite things in uh, the book of John, at the very end of John, he says, now there are also many other things that Jesus did. Were every, every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. What a summary. That he would say, listen, I'm giving you a very, so that you could receive this message of who this Christ is so that you could then believe in him. And in a similar way, he's like, man, if we wrote all the books, the world could not contain it. And in a similar way, you see this list of names and you realize there's, there's a lot of things that were not actually written about in this book. Um, and there's, there's a lot of names and there's a lot of a whole lot about. But um, for the purposes of the, of, that the author had for the readers is what he aimed to do was to show that we, are, we have a God who keeps his promises and we're called to align with that God. And so as we do that and as in the stories that he gives us, um, we see the kings and the battles that we need to see. Moving forward, we begin to get to the, um, to the allotment of the actual land itself. So as we go through these allotments, we're going to start in chapter 13. Um, we get, uh, <clears throat> I, want to, I want you to just consider this question for yourself. What should we do with the lot that we are given in this life? Do with the lot that we are given in this life. Now, boundaries are boundaries are a good thing for us. Um, I'll tell you for my kids. Every single time we spend a lot of time out out in front of our house um, because uh, we don't have a backyard, <laughs> and so are my kids uh, nine, seven, and three. And so there's a lot of energy in the house. And there's a lot of um, all the other neighbor, neighbor kids come out into the front of the house and we play in this, um, this one-way street. And so the kids have gotten really good at yelling car whenever they see a car, uh, which is great. But one of the things that we also do is that we take a piece of walk out there and you draw this line on one side and you look at Marcus and you say, bud, no further. <laughs> There's this boundary here where you're just like, I can't, and you know, some days, depending on, depending on how much sugar he's had, he'll listen to it. And it's for their good, and it's for their flourishing. And what you see here is that 
Um, every single lot line, while we may look at, look at just like a list of names, what you see here is actually the Lord's provision, that this promise that God made to Abraham in the very beginning is actually being fulfilled, that each one of these tribes is actually given a place, and they're given these boundaries, and within these boundaries, they honor and love, uh, love the Lord and live under his rule. This is what, it's just what we're called to. So the question that we need to consider for ourselves is what should we do with the lot that we're given in this life? So the first two chapters, chapter 13 and chapter 14, um, are about promises that are kept specifically. So I love how all this goes down. There's actually a lot of nuance to it when you, um, when you, re- when you read through it all. I would encourage you to do that. Uh, So chapter 13, you get Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh. And this is going to be the east side of the Jordan River. Now, do you guys remember the conversation that Moses had with the tribe of Reuben, Gad, and the east side of Manasseh? Yay? Nay? Um, Yes, I love it. All right, so there's this, um, there's a conversation that's had with them uh, with Moses beforehand where they actually come up to Moses in Numbers chapter 32, and they come up to him and, and they say, listen, livestock and the land on this side of the Jordan is actually good for livestock. Can we actually take this land as our possession, as the fulfillment of this promise? And what he says is, yes, but um, what he actually says, is, if you do, if you will do this, if you will keep, if you will take up arms to go before the Lord for, for the war and you will pass over the Jordan before the Lord until he has driven out his enemies from before him and the land is subdued before the Lord. Then after that, you shall return and be free of obligation to the Lord and to Israel. And this land shall be your possession before the Lord. So this is the fulfillment of that promise where he's, Josh, half of Moses is now looking at these three tribes and saying, you have fulfilled your, your commitment. You, came, you didn't stay there on that side. You came over and you fought with us throughout the whole conquest. The land has been conquered. You can return to your land. So the very first ones that we have is the East Manasseh, Gad. As we move to chapter 14, there's a promise kept to a man named Caleb. Um, I'm just going to say it. This is the Philly way to say it. We haven't talked about Caleb all that much. Um, Caleb's got that dog in him. That's all you can say. Caleb is that guy. I mean, I just, you look at this interaction here. All right, so Caleb comes to this point where he comes to, he comes back to Joshua. And Joshua, Joshua and him have this pass. And it's really, now that I look at what it means to walk alongside a brother and do ministry together, it's really a beautiful thing. But Joshua and Caleb have honored and served the Lord together, going all the way back to the sent by Moses into the promised land to scout out the land. And they were the only two ones that came back and they actually said, yes, the land has giants in it and fortified cities, but we can take this land. And God's response to that was in Joshua 14, 9, surely the land in which your foot has trodden, this is a promise, um, shall be an inheritance for you and for your children forever because you have wholly followed the Lord my God. Um, That was from Moses. And Moses says that to Caleb. He says, listen, because of your response, I understand that we're going into the wilderness. But because of your response, there's going to be a day where you're going to get this land. And Caleb goes, like, the day's here. (laughs) The day's come. And so Caleb goes, and this is what he says in uh, verse 10 of chapter 14. He says, and now behold, the Lord has kept me alive. This is his current condition. Just as he said. These 45 years since the time that the Lord spoke this word to Moses, while Israel 
wilderness. And now, behold, I am this day 85 years old. I am still as strong today as I was in the day that Moses sent me. Yes. He's like, my strength now is as, uh, is as my strength was then for war and for going and coming. He's got this moment where Caleb's like, 45 years ago, but I haven't lost a step. He's like, I am as strong as I am today as I was then. And he says, give me this land. And not only does he say, give me that land, listen to the land that he requests. He says, now give me this hill country on which the Lord spoke on that day. For you heard of that land, how the Anakim were there, fortified cities. It may be that the Lord will be with me and I shall drive them out just as the Lord has said. So what's beautiful about this is that Caleb doesn't say, give me some land over here where there doesn't seem to be many people. It's almost as if Caleb's got an ax to grind. You know, <laughs> Caleb's just like, not only do I want land, the giants, you know, he's like, I want to go over here um, and I want to be where the fortified cities are. The description that Caleb had of like these giants in these fortified cities, he's like, I want to go there. Uh, and so Caleb is given this land and he goes and he drives out these people. Um, and it's incredible courage of Caleb. I look at that and I'm just like, man, God, like, I don't know. God makes incredible men, like of strong courage. And I think men are described in so many different ways in our culture and men can be just portrayed in so many different ways. But I look at Caleb and I'm like, now there's a man that believes and he believes conquer anything. And our culture desperately needs that. We need more Caleb's. Like we need guys that look at places that have fortified cities and strong cultures and societies that feel like completely impenetrable that say, I want that place. I believe God can call me into that place for his purpose. Needs, God does that. And we need to believe that God can raise up men like that. So we see God be faithful to this promise to Caleb in chapter 14. Chapter 15, 16, and 17, um, we see the tribes of Judah, the tri tribe of Ephraim, and the tribe of West Manasseh get their place. And so in the south of Israel, Ephraim is going to be in the heart, and there's significance there because it's going to be the place that um, Shiloh is, which is where the tabernacle is going to be sent up. And then just to the north of that is going to be West Manasseh. Chapter 18, I'm rolling through this because there's really only one, one way to do it. <laughs> um, chapter 18 a little bit differently. Look with me at chapter 18. If you want to read through this, I would encourage you to, and you'll probably see why we went through it the way that we did. Um, Joshua chapter 18, verse 1 says, Then the whole congregation of the people of Israel assembled at Shiloh and set up a tent of meeting there. The land lay subdued. Now, there's this kind of like incredible pause. Now, remember when they first came across into Joshua, there were a couple battles that happened. But after, um, after the battle of Ai, there was this pause for worship. And in the middle of the distribution and the allotments, there's again, there's a pause where Joshua then draws all the people. This place where he calls, he sets up this place called the tent of meeting. Um, it's a tabernacle. This is a place, this is a place that God called them to establish while they were even in the wilderness. The reason that God puts this here is because God, from, what do we talk about? What is the reason for the scriptures? You are meant to be with your God. That is the point. And so God, not only does he provide for us in the wilderness, but what he does is that he provides a place for him to dwell among us. And that is the beauty, is that there is this place where the actual presence of God dwells among its people. It says that Moses used to walk in there, and then when he walked out, that his faith, 
shined with the glory of God. So he would wear this veil because people could not look at his face. That the actual presence of God was amongst God's people. And so the very first thing that happens here as they go in, is they, they hand out the allotments, but there's a pause just to set up this tent. That there's a place where God be amongst his people. And it's in Shiloh. Um, Shiloh is in the hill country of Ephraim, and it is on this elevated place. And it's going to be, we're going to talk a little bit more about it later, but for now, that's all we need to know. Um, and then in verse 3, we kind of get the carrying on of the allotments. People of Israel, how long will you put off going to take possession of the land which the Lord, the God of your fathers, has given you? So now you get, maybe, I don't know. Um, as you read this story, you just assume, one, that it happens in a day. Um, and then the other part of you assumes that this is something that um, was happening and that there wasn't anything that got in the way. And one of the things that you realize here is that even when we're given something, a land that has been conquered on our behalf, we still have to move into that land in obedience. And so we have Joshua here looking at his people saying, why are you still here? <laughs> like, what are we doing here? God has given us we need to distribute this land. This is taking longer than it needs to. The goal is that you would possess the land that God has given you. And so what he does is he grabs a couple different men from each tribe and he sends them out. I just, I, these are the stories. I wish I would have been amongst these men. That would have been cool. Um, he sends them out just to um, and write, uh, like, what, what does this land look like so that they can bring it back to Joshua and that they can report to him and that he can then allot these different, these different lands. So the idea, again, you're just like, man, there's things that we don't think about. What, what you realize here is Joshua doesn't even have a full idea, scope of how big this is. He needs to understand, like, what is this, the full place that God has given us for him to dwell amongst his people? And so Joshua sends them out and they come back and they come back with this description and Joshua begins to allot the land. Uh, and so you see in uh, verse 13, um, oh no, and it's given, we got Benjamin, you've got Simeon, you've got Zebulon, you got Issachar, Asher, Naphtali, and Dan. Um, and so you have this, uh, the rest of the land that was just kind of, everyone was placed amongst these different, amongst these different places. And after that, the land was settled it's a lot everyone's in their place now um that wasn't too painful uh the question that we asked at the beginning what should we do with the lot that we are given in this life um all right so there's a that is repeated throughout the allotments um that and the way that my, uh, my wife, the word that she uses when she hears a storm is ominous. Um, she always says it looks ominous. Uh, and I, I, think, I think even here, statement creates this ominous feel that even while God is doing something good and fulfilling a promise to Abraham, that you look at it and you're just like, this should be the climax of the whole story. <laughs> there is this undercurrent that even in the midst of our victories, sometimes there are weakest moments. Something happening. So there's a couple different times that this is said. Joshua chapter 13, verse 13, it says, yet the people of Israel did not drive out the Geshurites or the Machatites as Geshur and Machath dwell in the midst of Israel to this day. 
with chapter 16. However, they did not drive out the Canaanites who lived in Gezer. So the Canaanites have lived in the midst of Ephraim to this day. And Joshua 17, verse 12, yet the people of Manasseh could not take possession of those cities, but the Canaanites persisted in dwelling in the land. And then you get to Judges, verse 1, 27 through 26. Manasseh did not drive out the inhabitants. Ephraim did not drive out the inhabitants. Zebulun did not drive out the inhabitants. Asher did not drive out the inhabitants. Naphtali did not drive out to the inhabitants. And Dan did not drive out to the inhabitants. And you're just like, something is happening underneath all of this. The instruction that they were given from the moment that they entered this land, that this is going to be a place where God was going to dwell with his people and that they were, not go- they were not to remain with the people that were there because that they would then take on the idols and the, and the gods of those people and that it would become to them the very thing that would ultimately ruin their inheritance. And so the instruction is as you go to these places and you see someone faithful like Caleb who says, give me the giants and as I go there, I'm going to drive them out. I believe God can do that. And it's a model for us. But what you see is that that's not uniform amongst all of Israel. They're meant to go and drive out all of these people because God is meant to be among If God's gonna be among these people, these idols cannot be in the same place. And I think... um, what you see is this same promise that we have. We talked about it last. We talked about it last week. Where um, there's stories and there's themes that play out over and over again throughout Scripture. And last week we said in the beginning there's chaos and God brings order and out of that is life and rest, which is true. Um, but if you look at the full story of the garden, is that in the in the beginning there's chaos and God brings and there's life and rest. And the final thing that he does is he calls the man to work the ground and till it, which may sound crazy, but um, part of the way that God, what God is doing there is he's calling us to cultivate, to make something of the world, to move into this land that he's given us and to rule and reign this place, reign under his authority in a way that brings him glory. That's what we're called to do. We talked about this in our class. And so that's why there's an instinct in you to make something of the world that God has given you. There's part of you that's just to go and conquer the world. And the reason that we argue is because that is something that is ingrained in you from the very beginning of time. You're made that creates and you are a person and as a result of that, that creates and cultivates. And so what we have here is that they move into this promised land, fast forward into the promised land and God takes this chaos and he creates this order and then he creates this place that has rest and they're invited into that rest and he sent this land so that they would rule and that they would reign in the places that God sent them for his glory. And they fail to do it. And it replays the story of the garden where you're just like, man, our role was to be with God into this place and reign in a way that brings him glory and we chose glory for ourselves and we lost the garden. We lost this place where we meant to be with our creator. And so again here, this plays out where you're just like, man, they're meant to move into these places and they're meant to rule and reign fail to do it. The big question that you have at the end of this story is like, man, as you move into the end of Joshua and moving into Judges, it's like, will they remain faithful? And what you see is that there's already an unfaithfulness that has plagued the land. 
think um, what you get is it's articulated. And we're, as we move into the final stages of Joshua, we're going to see this. Um, we're going to refer to this passage a couple different times. Um, but in Joshua 24, this is what he says to his people. people. Joshua 24, 14 through 15, he says, Fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river in, the, in, in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of the fathers um, served beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. And then he says, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I'm, that, is, that verse is put or... It's etched into pieces of wood and put up on over our dinner tables. It's put on mugs, you know. It's just, for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. But when you put it in light of everything that happened in the book of Joshua, there's this conquest of just God has done so much. There's been so much bloodshed because God is meant to be with his people and he's pushing out evil and not just evil in the world, but evil within us. God is doing something in us makes this claim he says you're going to make a decision today make a decision who you will serve you need to make this decision but i will tell you this me and my house we're going to serve the lord um and the question is will they do it i think there's there's faithfulness for a time joshua lived out his life in faithfulness and at the end you see the generation that let lived under Joshua was faithful to the Lord. And we never want to miss that. That's incredible. Um, but soon after that, they begin to just walk in this unfaithfulness. And inheritance. They lose the inheritance. And again, you're kicked out of the garden. And again, we're reminded and we're back at this place where you're just like, how do we live amongst the God that we're meant to be with? But there's good news. Um, in Christ, we regain all that has been lost. I want you to see this. Like if you just look at a list of names and allotments and it just looks dry, I understand. <laughs> but the whole point is that these places are meant to be places where God is with his people. And as the story plays out, the whole point is that God ultimately comes to be with us in Christ. That Jesus arrives, that he is Emmanuel, God with us. That every person that comes to him finds rest and restoration. He doesn't come in violence, but he takes violence on himself. And at the end of his life, he walks up on a different hill. And he doesn't bring a sacrifice, but he is the sacrifice. And that final sacrifice not make on our own. And while it seems for a moment that darkness has won, that the light ultimately remains and there is another day and that Jesus defeats the grave and he comes back and he walks among us and we see this beautiful invitation into this rest again and what he says then to his disciples he says go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the father the son and the holy spirit teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. What is different about that? Well, one, it's the same in a lot of ways, that Jesus has now recreated the world, and what he does is he says, he again sends his people into the world. He says, go. And what does he say to do? Make. That sounds familiar. He says, go and create, cultivate. What are you going to cultivate? Cultivate a world 
story. How are you going to cultivate this world? Give them me. Give them Jesus. And as I am interact with them, they are going to see that they are restored and changed. I'm the only one that can actually heal the things that have been broken. And so the question is, well, how do we do this well? How do we do what Israel failed to do? That's the question. Will they do it? Will they remain faithful? And at the end, he says, behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. I think the beauty of this is that, that God does not dwell on a hill in the middle of a land or in the heavens alone, but that God dwells within his people, that we are called his temple and the very presence of God is no longer a place that we go to and long for, but it is within us. That is the promise that you have, that you have God's presence and so the question is then how what do you do with this physical life what do you do with the lot of life that you've been given because we have life. you may look at this and be like i don't have a lot like, oh, that's, that's fair uh, maybe you do have a physical property that's that's great um and if and if you don't you still have been given something you have jobs you've got relationships you've got a mind you've got a body You've got, you've got resources. There's physical things that and the question that we have is then what do we do with the things that we've been given? And I think one of the things that is our greatest danger that we face right now in America is not so much that we would be sent by Christ into the world and we would see resistance. That's true, and we do experience that. But one of the things that we, one of our greatest dangers is that we would be and that we would actually become and consumed by the world that we would actually be overwhelmed by it. Um, and I think that's what, that's what the reason that these people had to be driven out is that God is meant to be with his people and where there is no other idol. It's just him. And so how do we live in this world with the minds and the bodies that we're given? Um, I think I just thought of a couple different things. I was just like praying last night. I was like, how do, how do we do this? First thing that we do, if we just think about the possessions that we have, the mind that we have, the body that we have, and the time that we have, um, there are different ways that God has called us to live out this obedience, to honor God with these things. Um, we honor God with the possessions that we have. Um, our culture is constantly inviting us to um, not to live freely in the boundaries that we have, but to extend our boundaries. Is that not right? It feels like everything that we do, we're so consumed with broadening our boundaries so that we would have more land that we forget to protect the, the land that we do have. And I think as a Christian, I think one of the things, all of these actual possessions that you've been given and the questions that, that you need to ask is, how do I use the things that I've been given for God's glory? What is it, how do I see the resources that I have as a means by which God can continue to bring his kingdom in? And then the mind that we're given. Um, I think um, our, our minds are um, one of the things that make us unique. And Paul, it's, what's interesting is that the scriptures actually talk about us, um, that talk about our minds, that we would... Uh, we have set our mind 
spirit and that we would not set our minds on things of the flesh because to set your mind on the spirit is life, but to set your mind on the flesh is, is death in Romans 8. Um, and that we would renew our minds is something else that we're called to. And I think one of the ways that we honor God with our minds that we have is that we actually are careful to put into them, but are also careful about the way that we cultivate and we grow them. That we would commit ourselves to understanding this and that um, one of the ways that we actually grow in unity as a body is one of the things that's said is that we have, what we have in common is the mind of Christ. We would have minds that have been restored and renewed, but that we would look at the mind of a brother and sister and we would have something in common. That we would look at each other and we would say the mind of Christ is ours because of our inheritance. Um, and then also, how do we honor God with our bodies? Um, give ground in our bodies when we result to violence, when we reject his good design as a male and female, we ne neglect when we neglect our physical health, when we obsess over our physical image, um, when we give into passions or flesh and pleasure that ultimately are not about enjoying God, but satisfying our sinful desires. Every single day, like our, I think one of the things that we just don't talk about much is that, um, man, while God is certainly calling us to this internal place where we will be with the Lord forever, that there is a purpose to the life that you've been given. There's a purpose to the body that you have. And the, the goal is not that it would, but that you would rule it in a way that honors the Lord. And one of the ways that you do that is you live by the, in the ways that he has outlined, that he has designed for you to live. And so you don't give in to sinful passions that ultimately deteriorate the body that you have, but you honor the Lord by the things that you put into it. Is it going to consume things and the things that we consume impact the way that we live? the way the things that we do with our bodies matter. They have an impact on us. And one of the other things that I thought of is um, time. How do we honor God with the time that you have? You have been given an allotment of time is a way to say it. I, um, I've been thinking about this one more and more. Um, I, maybe it's because Annabeth feels older than she ever has. Um, I, the very first moment that I realized that time um, was real <laughs> and fleeting was when I lost my brother. And I thought, wow, just like that, time. Um, and it's gone. And you're just like, I, and then to, there's a lesson that time can teach you and that you can learn that it's extremely valuable. I, I remember that there was a value to life that I held after that. Um, because I realized how quickly it can be gone. Um, but as I, as I grow older, I just realize, man, every part of me wants to savor the time. that. And what I think I realized as I was reading today in, throughout this week, I just realized the way that we savor time is that we savor the God who gave it. That is all that we can do. Because what happens then is that these things that are just so fleeting in our time, whether it's your grandkids, whether it's your kids, it's the beautiful thing. Moments where you're sitting down at a table and there's a good meal amongst friends. Like those times where you're just like, I love this. I just want to cherish this forever. But you realize in those times that those times end because of time. Because <laughs> time continues to move forward. And you get to the point where you can either be overwhelmed by time and ruled by time. 
weighed on you that actually would rob you of your time. But the reality is if those things just terminate on themselves, they all do come into an end. But if those things ultimately are a greater, just a model and an example that they result in us worship towards a God that created time itself, that there actually is a value that can be beyond time. Not only did Jesus defeat death, but also in time, what he does is he makes all things new. And so the idea that these things are just a taste of what is to come is such a needed for us. We need to know if you want to savor time, savor the God that gave it to you. And Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, 31, so he says, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. So how do we honor God with heaven? Um, second point and in closing uh, is we look to our inheritance in Jesus. Um, looking to our inheritance in Jesus protects us from wasting our lot in life. Looking to our inheritance in Jesus protects us from wasting our lot in life. All right, so there's two given land here that we didn't talk about. One is the Levites, which Brian's going to talk about next week. Um, but the other one is Joshua. Check this out. Um, Joshua chapter 19, uh, verse 49. See, we've made it through all. all. Um, verse 49, this is, this is what it said. It says, when they had finished distributing the several territories of the land as inheritance, the people of Israel gave an inheritance among them to Joshua, the son of Nun. I love that, that Joshua is faithfully serving the Lord these lands and now at this moment the people turn around and they honor Joshua and they say you can have this land and they honor it because the Lord said but they also still honored him um, it says by command of the Lord they gave him the city that he asked Timnath Sarah in the hill country of Ephraim and he rebuilt the city and settled into it significant about Timnath Sarah you probably didn't know this you know what it's next to Shiloh when Joshua's asked where will you go in this vast land? You can have any of these cities. You can have any of these cities, Joshua. Where will you go? And he picks the hill country of Ephraim. And I can imagine the only reason that he would pick the hill country of Ephraim is because Shiloh was right there. Remember the whole point of the story that we said from the beginning? This is not just about what God is doing. This is about are becoming. So while we're concerned about what we're doing and where we're going, God is most concerned about who we are and what we're becoming. And at the end of this story, you see Joshua, and he's going to settle into this land, and he picks this city, and it's pretty epic that he gets to rebuild a city and settle into it. To this city, and this city is right next to Shiloh, where the, where the tabernacle was, where he was close to the God who had been with him. So you just get this picture that God has said from the beginning, I'm going, I'm calling you somewhere, Joshua. This is going to be a difficult place. Be courageous. Be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. I'm going to be with you. And as he goes into this place, you see these ups and downs of Joshua. And by the end of it, it says that Joshua is now an old man. And he's sitting and they say, where do you want? I want to be close to my Lord. That's it. Joshua has learned the beauty 
beauty that David learned in Psalm, which is our inheritance is God himself. That is what we get. Psalm chapter 16, verses five through six. The Lord is my chosen portion in my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful. The way that we keep ourselves from being taken captive by the, by the world is that we are captivated by the one who made it. That is it. There is part of us that just longs that everything that is good, we have no good apart from you. I mean, how? Um, I'll close with this. The um, David Clarkson, uh, who is a Puritan minister and theologian, um, when referencing Psalm 16, 5 through 6, this is what he says. He says, the Lord is our portion. And this is incomparably more than if we had heaven and earth. For all of earth is but a point compared to the vastness of heaven. And the heavens themselves are but a point compared with God. What a large possession we have then. There is no confiscation of it, banishment from it. Our portion fills the heavens and the earth and is infinitely above heaven and below earth and beyond both. Poor men boast and pride themselves of a kingdom but we have more than all the kingdoms of the world and the glory thereof. And then he references this moment. He offered the world to Jesus and he, Jesus was faithful. He says, Christ has given us more than the devil could offer him, which is beautiful. Um, I think we have a beautiful inheritance. Um, Peter talks about it in 1 Peter 1. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfaithful in heaven for you. Um, in the midst of all of this, uh, you see this brokenness. You see a, a God who promises and a God who delivers on those promises, but ultimately a people who fall short. And if you're going to be honest, you look at yourself and you're I would have done the same thing. We just fail to drive out the idols that we need to drive out in our lives. And what you need is God himself. You need God himself with you, but not only do you need God himself with you, you need God himself preserving you along the way. We need a greater and we need something that is kept in heaven for us, a place that it cannot be taken. And that's the inheritance that we get in Christ. So how do we live a life that is faithful at the allotment that we've been given? I think the best thing that we can do is look to the inheritance that we have in Christ, not just that, but actually that we get him now. <laughs> that we get to enjoy the Lord now and he is greater to be enjoyed than anything else that this world can offer us. Um, so as, as we close, uh, as Brian comes up and Sam, um, just uh, a couple questions that I just want us to consider. Uh, what is the allotment that you've been given in your life? Think about it. And uh, here's the thing about our allotments. Uh, we talk about always trying to push our boundaries. One of the ways that we do that is we go frustrated with the allotment that our brother or sister has been given. <laughs> you know, <laughs> is that we look around the room and we're just, 
that. Um, and that's part of this story as well, that there ultimately begins to be conflict amongst these people. And you're just like, man, it, would we not just enjoy the allotment that we've been given, that we would enjoy these boundaries, as David says, and that in them that there would be freedom for us and that we would enjoy the Lord in what he has faithfully given to us. I think the beauty in that is that when you enjoy that allotment, that you actually begin to enjoy more the God that's given it to you. And you realize he's better than anything we have anyways. <laughs> Um, so what is the allotment that you've been given in life? And in what ways are you honoring the Lord with those things? With your mind, with your body, with your possessions, with your time, honoring the Lord with these things. And in what way are you not? Like, is there part of you that you look at this and that if you were to write my story, that there, someone would have to say at the end of the allotment that I'd be given that they failed to drive out these idols? Is there part of you that you just had this idol for a long time? There's something that's not of the Lord time you have just failed to drive this out it's time just anything that is not of the lord just get rid of these things and the only way that you can do this through the power of the lord and so i would encourage you to confess these things to one another to speak these things to the lord to be honest about these things the best way to pull them into the light because as soon as you pull it into the light it loses its power so I would encourage you, what allotment have you been given and how are you currently holding those allotments? And I pray that this week that you will find um, a treasure and an inheritance in our Lord. Let me pray. Um, Father, our inheritance in you is um, it's just greater. Lord, there's good meals in this life. There's beautiful homes. There's an incredible creation. There's good friends. There's so much life outside. Beautiful. But Father, help us see that it does not even compare. It just doesn't compare to knowing and beholding you. Lord, I pray that you would help us behold you. Lord, that just as Moses goes in and his face then comes out and it's glowing, Lord, would we then go into your presence? We behold your glory and we see that it's greater than anything else that this world has to offer. Lord, and we long for it. Lord, would it change something in us? We are so wired to long for this world. Lord, would you rewire us? Lord, and teach us that you are to be treasured than anything else. Lord, show us who you are. Lord, show us who we are. Lord, may you just draw us near. We love you. In your name, amen.